Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 28 of Business Therapy. I'm Sam Drawshack, and as always, I'm here with Jonathan Adams. Today on the show, we have Ellen Sai with us. She's coming to seek advice about some of her sales processes. So, Ellen, welcome to the show. Why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and a little bit more about what brings you on today? Yes. Hi. Thank you. Um, Ellen Tai. <laughs> I've been in business marketing for about 10 years, and I guess I should start with my mission because I think that that is where I start the beginning of my service instead of my background first. So my mission is to bring more human to the business world, and I do that through managing human energy, different processes, and um, helping people to see the value of time. So taking those mission points and utilizing my background in business marketing, now I'm a business process consultant specifically for marketing and creative teams. Um, and I have this niche service to offer um, because I've spent so much time understanding how marketing marketers and creators work together. And now I get to have this really incredible role where I go into businesses and I offer out of the box, really creative approach to process. And um, yeah, just kind of running with the whole anti cookie cutter thing. So I'm excited to continue just bringing that energy, ooh, bringing that energy to businesses. Yeah. Sounds great. So what, what can we help you with today on business therapy? What, uh, what is the topic that brings you here today? I think when you start off as a business consultant, it's really important to get mentors to understand how things are done because you don't have as many options to learn from other people. And you just kind of have to figure it out as you go, which is why I'm so grateful that I have been able to get time with you, Sam, and be able to ask you so many questions. Um, and now being able to ask both of you this specific question, but my question was around the sales process. And there's actually, I was hoping to go kind of step-by-step and break down some of the different areas of business and better understand how I can support my clients and have a really strong sales process in place um, so that I don't lose out on amazing clients because of price or timing or not having the right communications in place for follow-up. And um, I would also love to know the journey of y'all's sales process and how that's evolved based on what you know works, what doesn't. And I think the last part of it would be just where you bring in your human. I know, Sam, I've had a little bit more time with you. So I know that one of um, one of your values is to bring that human approach. So where you bring your human into this process too. Yeah. So I'll start by responding to that aspect and then we'll kind of kick into the meat of the conversation. I, I really appreciate you talking about bringing the human into it. And I always like to say, you know, when Jonathan and I talk about conscious business, bringing the human in is not a, a, a nice to have. It's actually the intersection of the, of the best business practices also. So we appreciate anyone who starts with a foot forward to say, we want this to be more human centric. We want this to create more positive energy in each interaction. 
But but in fact, the good news for everyone who's just starting to plug into this conversation is it actually will get you the best results for you and your clients also. So I think I just wanted to start opening up with that that high level thought before we go into some of the nuance, because you'll find I think a lot of our advisement in this space will touch on that. Yeah. And, and I'll circle back to honing in a little bit on the question, Ellen, in terms of what you're doing right now, obviously you feel like there's something that's deficient. And so I that you identified the timing and, and what your fees should be. Um, have you seen that that's been a problem or is this just, are you concerned that maybe you've lost a client or, or lost an opportunity or? Yeah, and maybe before you start, even for the audience's benefit, just talk a little bit more about your as-is sales process. I like to Jonathan's point, where are the, the sticking points? But also, how are you selling today? Maybe just a little briefly more about the service you're selling, because um, you gave a, a good teaser, but I think it would help to drop us all in if you give a little more context around those points. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good idea. I think it starts with how I market. And I have, um, over the last couple of years of being a consultant, started to rely on a, a more aligned approach to marketing. And so for me, that's not social media or um, print marketing or any other option. For me, it really is having that human to human connection because I realized that I thrive in those connections and I would do it for nothing. I love the idea of meeting people, understanding their businesses, seeing where they could have um, more efficiency so that their business is flowing, but also their lives because nothing is separate. Um, so that starts me off in where I go and meet clients. So I'm a, I've been really lucky that a majority of my clients have come referral based um, or meeting one-to-one in person. And I tell somebody what I do and they respond with, we need you. We need you. Let's talk. Um, the next step is to make that connection and really understand what some of their high-level goals are, what some of their high-level obstacles are, and then having a conversation with them to offer as much value for free as I can. And then after I complete that process, I will draw up a proposal, a customized proposal and a customized deck based on the specific obstacles that they're working with. And then I'll tack on my actual process steps one through four. Um, and then I will send that over. I think right now where I'm having hangups is I've had about eight or nine different clients, different businesses that I've worked with in the last two years. And I haven't gotten to a point where everything is just a standard operating procedure. I mean, I have my SOP in place for my own sales process, but I want to strengthen it because there are differences, whether I'm working with a creative agency or a corporate client or an entrepreneur. Um, and where does the timing come into play? You mentioned timing. Like when you say timing, what do you mean? Like when you should do what <clears throat> or the timing between steps. Yeah. Or... 
Yeah. So the specific aspect of that comes in when I deliver the proposal. So the first thing that I learned, this has happened with a couple of clients is I don't think it works for me to just send over an email proposal. That's obviously the easiest way because they have all of the details and they have all the pricing and then they get to think through it, but it doesn't solidify that human connection to walk through the actual pieces that are on that proposal. And then to have an open conversation based on pricing, um, based on how their reaction is or what their budget might be, and to be able to have a more fluid conversation. So that would be one specific nuance that I would love y'all's opinion on is, do you always have that proposal done in person? And then when it comes to timing, that really is, okay, what about when they get to the point where they're, okay, we have to think about this because it's a big investment. Um, At what point, how long do you wait to follow up? And which platform do you use to communicate on specific details like that? And then one more point, just the you you uh, the pricing piece. So while while we're just laying it on the table, let's just get that in there too. Which is when you talk about timing aside and process aside, when you talk about some of your sticking points on pricing, what does that look and feel like to you? It's hard to gauge what a company's budget is and my hourly rate has increased. And it's hard to know if when a client is in that thinking process, whether it has anything to do with price. I think that's just the immediate thought is we go to price and there's an issue with price. So how do we have more confidence around the pricing we offer? And then what are we basing that off of? Are we basing that off of what our mentors have charged, what we're seeing on um, different con- contractor sites that show their salary or um, their hourly. And yeah, I guess just the journey of deciding what pricing is. It, it's interesting how you put it that uh, you recently raised your rates, but you don't know what a particular client can afford. You don't know what their budget is. Mm-hmm. So what that means is your rate is variable. Like you, you don't, you know, the, the first step is you can't say that this is my rate if your concern is like what the client can afford, because that implies that you have variability depending on certain other conditions, which is fine. And, and that's definitely something you can do. But I think the, the tack you were taking of establishing what your value is, I think that's the first step, you know, so you really have to have a very, very strong sense of that. And that could be, you know, what's the market? What's the market rate for the kind of services I give? And then what is my particular value add? What's my value proposition that goes, that's unique to the market or, you, you know, as distinguished between uh, my competitors and where do I want to fall on pricing? Am I going to be more of a commodity or am I premium and, and the like? But that thinking goes before you even know client one. Because if you, if it's based on what the, what the market, what you think the market's telling you and what they can do, then you're, you never really established uh, um, what your, what you think your value is and where you want to fit into the market. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I think originally I was going off of market, market pricing when I first started, but now I know what my value is. Um, And that variability is still part of my pricing because I have this specific client that we're talking about. They could offer an incredible amount of value um, because the 
type of problems I have, I know that I can solve. And there's a lot of opportunity there for change. And they would also be an amazing addition to my portfolio. And so those are some of the kind of negotiations that I'd be willing and open to go into. But how do we even open up that conversation to say, is this about pricing without making somebody uncomfortable? Sam, I'll let you interject. I mean, I have more on this, but yeah. Yeah, there's a there's so much fun things to talk about here <laughs> pack that I'm I'm just trying to figure out where to tackle it. I'm gonna start a little bit, I'm gonna float a little bit up again because I think like you talked about the external market benchmarking, does the client have budget? Um, what's the best practice or timing method? Um, how do we make people not uncomfortable? The one thing I'd start with is, and this is really related again to bringing the human back into it or or what we call the consciousness back into it. External benchmarking is really a very small part of the tool set you should be thinking of. And like you mentioned, external benchmarking is really good in the beginning when you're finding your own footing and you're going through self-discovery. But when you are more mature in your value proposition and the services you're offering, having a very much um, you-centered approach first and getting really in touch with what feels like a good price for you, what would make you feel satisfied and whole doing this work or engaging with this client and, 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 and that is really the number one, because if you're starting to think about things like how much money do they have? Did I not get enough money out of them? You can never control those things and you're never going to know those things. And it's really a lot of times that's noise and it's just going to confuse your conversation because honestly, if you go into a client situation, just as a, a as an extreme example, and you know, very well going in that you want to work with this client, you think it will be rewarding. And if you got this price point, you would be happy. If they agree to that price point, it does not matter beyond that point, whether they had more money, whether they had less money, if they were comfortable, whether they were uncomfortable, because then you should have already considered whether you are going to be comfortable and that made you feel good. And I think a lot of that, to be able to do that, you have to be able to think through that and have a you-centered approach first to know what you're offering, what would make you happy, the context of your life, because it doesn't matter what the market is charging for a similar service. It doesn't matter the client's budget. If you're not happy with the outcome, even if all that data converges and, and suggests one thing that you should be happy with, if you're not happy with it, it doesn't matter. There's no amount of going into your head and telling yourself, well, this should be acceptable. That's going to make you feel that it's acceptable. So we always have to start there, at least in my, in my approach, if you're going to then be able to be confident and have a, a self-assured outcome with any sort of client negotiation. Just And that's just like a high-level thought. I'll just color a little bit what Sam said, though. In very mature markets, the reaction the client has or the perception of what you're saying and your services are, if you've already decided that you want to be more of a commodity, you know, and, and you're give, giving, you're competing directly for a like service in a, in a mature market, then that pricing is, is a reality. The client's budget or the client's issues, that's a totally different issue, you know, totally separate uh, put aside. But so I think Sam and I are saying the same thing about starting with yourself and knowing what it is that you're offering and knowing what, what resonates with you in terms of the value that you're bringing. But in terms of once you're connecting with a client, they are, they, you, you have to be uh, uh, conscious of the market and, and, and at what stage it is. Would you agree with that, Sam? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think you and I are, are I'll reconcile what I think you and I are both saying and, and Ellen, for your benefit. If you decide that you want to offer a, commu a commodity level service and you try to charge a luxury price, it doesn't matter if that feels right for you. The market exactly. won't accept it. I think that's what Jonathan, you're trying exactly. to articulate, right? Exactly. So there, that's why I think benchmarking is important to sense check yourself. 
but you're sense checking against your own feelings first. You don't want to let those benchmarks dictate how you should feel because then you're always going to have tension going in these conversations saying, well, I should at least be able to get this market rate or the client should at least be able to meet me here as a starting point. And you don't even need that starting point because if you know where you need to come in and you've already sense checked it against reality, then you should feel that that's kind of the starting point. So I'll pause there. Is that is that helping at least level set where maybe like more of a, a self-centric approach should start? I would love and probably the audience too, a little bit more information on commodity versus luxury. Yeah, for sure. So when we talk about commodity versus luxury, it's really referring to, let's say, you have a, a, a consulting product and let's say it's just a templated product that maybe a lot of other consultants could offer. So when you're benchmarking against um, a lot of whatever substitutes there would be out there for your service, if you're very similar and your service could be easily substituted by another vendor, it'd be more considered like a commodity product. And that's a little bit of a strange label for a service, like a consulting service. But, but honestly, it's the same principle, right? Which is that there's a lot of substitutions at the same level of quality. And, that, and in that way, it's more commoditized. So if you talk about a luxury good, we're basically saying that it's white glove service if it was a consulting service. Only you could offer it. You're the Rolex of this particular niche of marketing and process consultative services. And if you're, if you're wanting to be a, more of a luxury service item, that means there's not a lot of substitutes you are like top of class in a lot of the categories and, and thus one would expect to pay a lot more for your service because of your target. So, and that again, depends on your personal approach where if you're the kind of person that you think you can take something basic and known and execute it really well, being in a commodity space is, it can be in a good space to be. And then you can charge less. Typically commodity players look to get volume and they sell accordingly. If you want to be luxury, then you should go in knowing that you're going to give it that extra touch. You're going to be folding the napkins. You're going to be printing everything on like wax, like glossy paper. I'm not more of a luxury person, so I'm even struggling to come up with examples, but you get the idea. And then it's, and then you could charge really for the luxury good. And what we're trying to say is you knowing yourself first is where do you fall on that spectrum? And then if you're doing market research, what are your competitors? What are the substitutes for your product where you think it's landed? And that gives you just like a benchmark pricing because the point I think we're trying to make is it doesn't matter if you feel good. If you're selling something, there is an, there's an objective reality to what it is you're selling. So knowing what you're trying to sell and knowing how it would be classified against substitutes or comparable items on the marketplace is where you want to get your benchmark. And then if the benchmark is in the realm of what would make you feel good in realm of possibility, then you have an intersection that you can start working on moving forward with the sale. So hopefully that, that helps clarify that, that piece. It does help. And I am very comfortable with the price that I'm offering. And I also have a range of what I'd be willing to go for, for this specific client. But my question is how do I open up that conversation um, and invite, invite in a dialogue about it? Well, I'll, I'll respond quickly. And then Jonathan, I'm sure you have a take because Jonathan and I have very different types of sales experience. I just for the audience, you know, I I've done a lot of sales, right. probably more in your zone and Jonathan has too, but also there's other sales experience where like even a broader, like larger clients, B2B type of things. And I would say at the, at the, at the level we're talking about always having a conversation in person or live, not like actually on site, but on the phone. Like I've never sold anything without having a conversation. Yeah. I think the notion of having an email exchange or some sort of written or non-personal dialogue 
which would precipitate a, a good sale that everyone feels comfortable about is almost unheard of. I mean, unless you're really talking about something very boilerplate and very commoditized, like, you know, I'm ordering, you know, X, whatever, and we know the specs of it. And it's just give me 15 of them. Like if you're ordering a product, but if you're talking about cons consultative services or especially bespoke services of any kind, I would never expect to sell it without a conversation. Anything else is just supplementing that conversation. Uh, let me let me pause there, Jonathan. Do you have a different impression? No, no. Uh, I would just say it matters a lot how it came about. Like, in other words, how did this lead come about and where are you in that process with the lead? Because if you're if the lead isn't seeking out pricing and you're and you're thinking that uh, you need to go into the scenario with lower pricing, like you're already uh, strategizing on pricing, but that's not even part of the dialogue yet or you haven't even established that they want to get services from you. Now you're chasing someone for a pull. And that's, you know, you, you want to pump up the client pulling for you to ask questions about, you know, what you more about your services, your pricing, et cetera. But you don't want to be chasing somebody with tons of information if, they're, if, they, if there's no reaction and, and it hasn't been uh, part of your exchange with them. Yeah. And thinking about yourself first, if you're going to find like a new service where you talk to somebody on the phone, Sometimes you'll ask, hey, just before we start, I want to ballpark. Are we within like the range of the budget or the magnitude? And then you can talk about it. But to Jonathan's mm. point, if they're not asking, then you don't need to talk about it. I always say a, a helpful tip, at least that I use is assume the sale is made and you're just talking about details, like even from the first call. And which is why you can defer pricing conversations or pricing even talks until as late as the client's willing to do. I mean, sometimes if your first few conversations are, hey, we're penning out the scope and we're starting to get details on paper, don't, I don't really feel pressure. And I would encourage you not to, like Jonathan said, you don't have to, you don't have to be pushing that on them until they're pulling for the pricing. There's no reason to even, I think, broach the topic most, most of the time. And, and I could say unequivocally, having done many pricing negotiations that the, that half the conversation that you're creating for the potential client is in your head. And you actually don't know at all what the client's thinking. And in fact, you could change what the client's thinking in the course of one conversation very easily, because as with anything, value is also a perception, you know, as to it. And so if you're going into there thinking that there's a chance they may not value this the way I think it will, then that's what you're going to convey. But if you know your value, it doesn't mean that you might have a strategic reason why you can give less than that, but it starts with knowing what your value is. Because if it's starting with negotiating on how to get the client, then, then your value is just another variable that you're willing to throw in there. So, yeah. so you really have to be very, very careful not to mix the two. So in the example that you gave, you said that there were, I think there were like two reasons why you might want to go lower on the, on the fee. The third, though, was because this would be a good client to have in your roster. Now, if having that client in your roster is going to help you add more sales, Will give you a broader network. Okay, you could value that, but you also have to think in your head: maybe there's a client out there who can broaden my network and add to my sales and pay me. You know, so you know the, the one of the earliest lessons I had with um, sales was door-to-door uh, -door selling of handbags, and this was <laughs> a very, very uh, while a long time ago. Not necessarily an ideal scenario for me, but I could tell you, sales were a matter of numbers. You know, like. If you're only looking for an ace of spades because you've had in your head 
that that is, you know, this one client fulfills every one of these requirements is the perfect client for me. You're forgetting the other 51 cards in the deck, you know, that you could be flipping over to get, maybe it's good enough to get some Kings and, and aces, you know, other aces or something like that. You know, so it's, it's just a numbers game. And every time and every minute you're focusing on that one client who may not even be pulling because you have it in your head that this is the perfect client for you. It's time you're not spending on actually potentially engaging with the perfect client. So I just, right. I just admit that. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I think one of the questions I have for this specific client is they are hot. Um, they're definitely a hot lead. So I don't want to just let it go. I actually took both of them out, both of the founders out to lunch and we, for an hour and a half, went into everything that they were working with, with their creative agency. Um, and so I thought it would be fine to send over the proposal through email. That was a learning lesson <laughs> further confirmed by you guys. So thank you. Because if my whole process is about human connection, then I shouldn't stop there. So my question is, I know that they need me. Um, I am making assumptions that it has anything to do with price. It very well could just be a timing thing for them. Um, how do I, what's the actual verbiage that y'all would use to open up that conversation now that the proposal has been sent and it's been, I think, eight or nine days? What was, what is the next step that y'all would take? Sam, I'm, I'm happy to take it. But... Why don't you do it? And then, uh, then we'll, we'll do a uh, answer off here. So you try yeah. first your first instinct, then I'll give mine. Yeah. So I don't know that that's necessarily the right question. So like, in other words, there's uh, four, e you know, like what's the right, what's the right email? Like, and, and how's the right way to phrase things? I mean, there's tons of advice on that. And, and yes, you know, it's, it's probably not a good idea to start with, you know, I just wanted to whatever, like get rid of, I just, you know, or things like that. Like, so there, there's a lot of uh, advice out there, but I think again, it starts with the pull. Like, so you had, this meal with the with the co-founders how did that come about and then you said you sent the proposal what did they actually ask you for like in other words I, you have to assess what was the nature of what they were asking for from you and was this a bona fide scenario or you know oh i don't understand that so in other words if if they said if at the end of the night they said oh yeah just send us a proposal or something you know that's very loose that the pull for that is, you know, but if they're, if they have procurement involved or I don't know how big they are, but like, depending on what the scenario is, you would know if it was a very bona fide uh, request for potential pricing and, and to, and to negotiate with you. Right. But it is, that out. it is something that I think is on the table and I am wondering, so are you saying to just look online for how to create no, that? No, no. I'm, I'm saying, uh, you, you had a meal with them. They asked you to send them some information. You sent it and then you haven't heard back from them. Oh, I did hear back. They, oh. they had shared that it is a big investment. So they're just thinking about it and I'm wondering what to say next. Ah, okay. So there is a, a, a pricing. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. or they're potentially, you don't know, you know, depending yeah. on, on, on what they could be saying. I, I have an idea specific. I'm, again, I'm still trying to lift it to, to, something a little bit higher, but Sam, maybe you can. Yeah. I think, I think part of it is, and I, I echo Jonathan saying that in terms of a lot of your questions are begging for like a standard and sales is very nuanced. Mm -hmm. So I think the standards at the level that I would answer would be more finding principles of 
how do you how do you behave honestly in these scenarios when a lot of times our first instinct is to think about what the client's thinking first and about mm -hmm. how I'm going to be able to say something to get a reaction that I want. Yeah. But I would, I would, I would definitely counsel you to focus internally and there's not going to be a right answer. There's not going to be a one size fits all answer for these conversations. And I, and I think that, you know, Jonathan was, was pointing to that when he's saying, what's the situation, what's going on. Um, there's definitely a, a, and I, from my side, I would say when you're in this side of situation, the pull is coming from you. There's some anxiety coming from you about, I don't know if I'm not following up appropriately. Is there more mm -hmm. I could be doing? Is there something, am I losing the sale? And in those situations, I would always counsel people to think less and just act more and act honestly. So if you're sitting at home saying, well, I don't know if I if I explain the proposal well enough, or you know, at this point, if they respond and say, I think it's a pricing matter and you're willing to negotiate pricing, then just say, Hey, I totally understand. I would love to get back on the phone with you so we can discuss next steps. Like it could be as simple as that if yeah. that's what you want to do. So you just articulate what you're feeling and what you want to do. And when if you if you be honest and you just be kind of short with it, you don't have to over-engineer these responses and sales conversations. And you have to be okay with the reality being what it is going to be. They could say yes or they could say no. Mm -hmm. But if your if your intention is to get them back on the phone and continue a dialogue, then just say that very, very earnestly and just say, hey. I understand it's a big investment. I would love to talk to you more about next steps or what you're thinking for timeline or what I can do to kind of provide more details. So please let me know and let's talk. And then yeah. I would say, and this is kind of going back to where my, if I could give standard advisement, which was always try to thinking how I can drive it back toward a conversation. Um, you don't have to acknowledge that the proposal was sent. I mean, you don't even have to look at it as a mistake or like you're on, you know, tender hooks with the client or anything like that. If you're just staying present with it, it's you feel like you have more to say it's a big opportunity. You've got room to negotiate. So just do whatever you can to try to open back the dialogue. Okay. I think when people are, are hesitant and they push you off with things like, hey, it's too pricey. Hey, we're thinking about it. Um, it's very easy to be put off by that kind of energy of, of sort of you know folding their arms and closing you out of the conversation. So you just have to be very clear that you're not done talking yet and just, and just mm -hmm. ask for it. it. It's very much like dating. So people always say, I was looking and looking and looking, there was nothing. And then I stopped looking and suddenly, boom, you know, I met somebody. And that really comes from exactly what Sam's saying at the end there in terms of where your head is at. You can't connect with someone else if you're consumed with yourself. And so, and we get consumed but with ourselves by thinking about all these possibilities of what they're thinking, what it might mean to me, what it might mean to my future, et cetera. What you have to do is just be present with the moment. You know what you want and you have to be realistic with you can't control what the other person may or may not want and that's it but but it, like sam said it's not a mistake or not because in a scenario where they were they're very hungry for you they'll tell you oh it's a big investment maybe if you can you meet us halfway or you know or whatever it is mm -hmm. um and and you decide on, on what feels right for you but it's always about i know how i can add value for them it may or may not be something that they want but everything else that you're thinking about why they might be doing what they are doing and what mistakes you could be making, that's just you being consumed in yourself. And you're definitely not going to be able to be authentic and connected with the client. Yeah. And one, and one more point before you respond, this kind of ties back in the pricing stuff you're talking about. This is where if price is actually an issue and they gave you an indicator and you authentically want to work with this client and you think you could come down in price, then you don't have to put it on the table right away, but just say something like, I'd love to keep talking. Uh, price is something that we can discuss. So how can we get back on the phone? 
You know what I mean? You don't have to give away everything, but, but then this is where you might not want to go that route. You might not want to reopen dialogue. If for instance, you don't want to come down on pricing at all. And they're already starting to give you an indication that they don't want to pay what you already proposed. So that's where I think having a little bit of a check-in with yourself before you chase what you want to make sure that your impulses are, are harmonious. Because if you get them back on the phone and then you think I would feel bad if I had to cut my budget down any more than I already proposed, then you made an honest appraisal and it's probably a red flag that they're already saying, Hey, pump the brakes. So, so check in first, but then, then just kind of open it back up and just be honest about it. Yeah, that is excellent. And this is why I love this podcast and I love what y'all do because I really appreciate bringing these answers back to the human and always showing up authentically because authentically the truth of the matter is, is, I don't need to have them as a client right now. I have two clients. I really want to have them as a client. And I just want to let them know I'm still very interested and we can have that conversation. And for me, it isn't about price to a certain extent. Um, it's about how much value that I can come and bring to the client and how much value that they'll receive. Um, and knowing that truth, because I know what I offer in my services, but also finding a really graceful, authentic way to share what that is and just letting them in on the secret. Yeah. <laughs> the secret I think what you just said, I think what you just said could be put into a, a, an email and be very, very powerful. Okay. And that's the power of being authentic and the power of being honest. I think a lot of people you ask, talk about best practice sales. Let's talk about bad practice sales. And I think this is where there's this, this, there's this pervasive view of sales, which is it's going to be a negotiation. We have to keep our cards close and we have to give up one card at a time. And we have to try to find, you know, the, the middle ground where everyone feels happy, but it's the sense of this gaming scenario. You're it's going to work for you or if it's not going to, or it's not. Mm -hmm. And the quicker you can just be honest and say things like you just said just now, which is, I really want to work with you guys. So let's make it work. And I'm willing to be flexible or, you know, I'm really excited about this. Can we keep the conversation going? And just see what comes out of it. And there's going to come a time where you may start to feel bad or the energy starts to recede into you, or you start to feel like this is not going to be a, an alignment for me. And then that's the point where you have to be okay walking away. But until that point, you should always be encouraged. You're not going to do anything wrong by being honest in sales. Let me just maybe put that as a summary point. You're not going to hurt your, if anything, you're going to create a more sustainable business and you're going to create better contacts and more goodwill um, behaving that way. And you also, you know, you had dinner with these people. So like there, there's a sense of an investment, but that's like in my example of flipping the cards, let's say you only need four, you know, four, there are four aces, you only need four big, you know, great clients or whatever number you need. Mm -hmm. It'd be like feeling invested at every time you flip the card and it wasn't an ace. You have to be willing to go and invest the, that time and realize that it, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with you, just like dating, like Everybody, you know, there's, there's timing, there's a lot of things that go into it, but when you're investing things that don't exist, you know, like either I don't want to, it was sunk cost, or I know this could be so amazing. We don't know, you know, we, we, it could be potentially amazing, but we don't actually know. Um, and half the time when we lose a client or don't, don't land it, that might've been the best thing that ever happened to you. You know, that might, you, you, we don't know. We actually don't know what, what's exactly perfect for us or what's not perfect for us. We just could be mindful in the moment and try to add the value and see where we resonate and, and where we connect. Uh, it, as Simu Lu, you know, the, um, he played, uh, uh, um, uh, he was the superhero in one of the most Shang recent. Shang-Chi. What? Shang-Chi. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the guy who just played. Oh, he just he posted one of the greatest uh, Instagram posts just this week about having been fired from Deloitte ten years ago and how thankful he was. It was the most humiliating and worst moment of his life, and that set him on a life that he really wanted. So, mm-hmm. like, we, we don't know, you know. And so, I just I just would recommend that in in your in, in being authentic, also realize where you're investing things that may or may not be there. Um, and, and what's real and what's not, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make that dis- the distinction sometimes. Yeah. And I think it is important to add just to kind of tie back to the beginning when I talked about human centric, I think another point of why I'm so interested and eager to work with this specific client has nothing to do with, um, I think the common requirements that a consultant would look for. I only want to work with incredible human heart-centered leaders. And I see that in these two people and I see what they're doing with their creative artwork and how they are growing their business and hiring on people. And I can see two visionaries who are extremely um, gifted in their creative abilities, but lack that operational addition that would be needed to really allow their business to grow as it should. And maybe that is also something that I add in the message is that it's 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 what they're doing and their mission and their values that is the reason why I want to work with them. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. And honestly, like I said, you can get out there and start shaving your price tag down almost all the way to zero because if it still <laughs> feels good to you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. what the benchmark is. Your instincts could be telling you this is a great partnership. You're going to learn something. This is you a pricing model standard could be does this feel good or bad in your stomach right now? And if the answer is good, then proceed. And if bad, then back away. And that's a lot harder than it sounds. But if you want to talk about really conscious sales, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to cultivate. And I'll give you a little bit that might help you from a therapeutic standpoint, which is that I still struggle with this. I've been doing this for years and years, selling all sorts of things in the consultative space. I still struggle with this. But, but the pricing, because every time it depends, it's, it's weird. It's like every time you get to that point with a client, whenever it is in the conversation, I usually let it happen fairly organically. There is this weird tension where the, the energy just turns into ice in the room. And like, you know, you're going to have, somebody's going to have to talk about putting a price on paper and somebody's going to have to sign off on it and money will have to be exchanged. And it never feels great. It always changes the frequency of the conversation, the vibration of energy in the entire exchange. And when you get there, what, what all I can say is all your standards are going to go out the window. When you get to that point, all your best practice tools are going to go out to the window. A lot of the time, it's just practicing. How do I feel in that moment? What am I willing to give? What am I not willing to give? Obviously some preparation mentally helps. I'm not saying it's always going to be okay. Right here in the second, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things that it, it's going to, it's, it takes practice and you don't, and there's not going to be a one, there's not going to be a single answer. It, in my experience, you know, I'll just counter a little bit. What Sam said, if you're very present all the time, and you could go with what you're feeling, honestly feeling, you know, then, then I would submit to what, to what Sam just said. The problem is when you're dealing with uh, new people and it's a, you know, there's potential rejection and like you're dealing with that whole interaction with establishing a relationship, it can get very confusing and uh, finding what you actually feel and where you are in that is, is very, very hard. It's very hard to be uh, present in that moment. And so I have a general rule of thumb that I always value what I'm contributing and try not to establish relationships where my value isn't very clear. And pricing is the easiest way to make that, you know, make it established, you know, those terms and those boundaries in the relationship. There could be other ways. Um, 
you know, you can partner with them because right now there, there isn't a lot of money, but they're, they'll make you part of X, you know, or whatever, like, but it has to be a tangible value because when there is no clear value being attributed to what you're doing, respect diminishes. And like in any relationship, it's hard to sustain that. Yeah. And I have to add, because there's a level of nuance to what I was just describing that honestly is counter to some of the things I've said in the past at, at face value. You don't want to be giving away services for free. So let's, let's be, let's be certain. I'm not trying to say, Hey, if it feels good to give it away for free, give it away for free. What I'm trying to say in a, in a hyperbolic fashion is that if you're being honest with your value and you're trying to figure out if a relationship, there's so many other variables beside the price. And that's why you have to be really clear going into situations, what you're trying to get out of it. And also you can make a mistake on price and say, this feel good. This feels good at a lower price. And you can get into the engagement and then it's, it doesn't feel good right after it starts. And then you're going to learn through experience that that would probably necessitate, you know, if it wasn't for social niceties and like commitments and sort of, you know, your reputation, you would want to pull out and like experience will help you not get into those situations. I'm kind of the, the advisement I gave was premised on the fact that if you're always being honest and present, you would never give away anything for free because that's not the best configuration for you as a person or how you can give back to a client or how you can give back to the world at large. So I just wanted to clarify that you got to feel good about it, but that usually doesn't, if you're being honest in the real world, typically that doesn't mean giving away your time for free. That's never going to be the intersection of being conscious and, and having a good negotiation. So hopefully that clarifies a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned it's a hot lead. Uh, you know, often the concern is that there's a ton of more activity you could do while it's hot, you know, like, but hot and cold, like that, that's, again, that's, I think something we're investing into a scenario because it feels hot to us, you know, but in their world, who knows? And I've been in scenarios where, you know, I, I, I didn't know why the, uh, the phone stopped ringing and they were going through some major reorganization, you know, and, has nothing to do with me, but like, I'm thinking that the entire, you know, exchange is between the two of us, but they have their own world as well. And so that's why uh, I generally, if you've already given the information in whatever form you gave it, you can definitely send a, a follow-up. But if you start chasing with pricing, or if you start chasing with other things, when the moment is again, right for them, that's what they're going to retain. You want, you, you want at least if the interaction ends, it ends with clarity about the strength of what you, you know you can offer as opposed to, you know, not feeling as confident because they'll go to another uh, person who seems super confident and then that becomes the perceived value, you know, and, and it seems like they, they value it more. And then suddenly it's not about price anymore, you know, so like I can't tell you how many times it was always about price and then suddenly it's not about price, you know, if, if there's some perceived benefit they're going to get from whatever services someone's going to provide to them. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I really appreciate that, especially ending on that value, letting them know that the conversation is open. It can be had, but just a reminder, these are the offerings. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then as we're kind of, I want to tidy up because you asked a lot of stuff in the beginning and coming back around when you're talking about the best practice then around tools, templates, documentation, proposal, I want to bring it back around to everything is kind of propping up that authentic interaction if you're going to make a sale and that's what we're going to be driving toward. So there's no, I, I wouldn't really recommend a best practice 
presentation format or proposal format, except that you want to be looking to, there's two factors that I would say to consider from, uh, you know, in terms of practical advice. One is a standard is only as much of a standard as you have the energy to sustain sending it out to everybody who asks for it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. I could give you the best practice sales template, but if it takes you an hour to make every one and every time a lead comes in, you're like, oh my God, I have to do this again. Then that's not a standard that's going to work for you and it's irrelevant. So a lot of times you, as a, especially as a small solopreneur or like starting a small consulting agency, you have to look at the intersection between your time to execute on proposal work and the, and the ROI you get from it. And a lot of times that's going to dictate a sustainable uh, place where your best practice should be, but that means it's going to be unique to you because I can't look at a, at a benchmark in the industry and say, Ellen, this is the one that you should be using for your service and for the people you want to serve. Because if you don't like doing it, it comes back to that self, that self-assessment first. It doesn't matter because you're going to send out one of them and then your sales engine is going to grind to a halt because you're not going to want to do that every time. And I can't yeah. stress up. Oh, oh, sorry, Ellen. I was just going to add to that. Um, I think the way that I learn is understanding baselines, what people have tried before that has worked for them. And then and then allowing myself to be creative. Is that something that I want to adopt? How can I work that into my own energetic groove? And that's something that is going to work for me. Um, but I definitely do learn by understanding what are the processes that have worked for you in the past? Have you ever ran into issues where you were in this stage of negotiation? And what did you use? What kind of communication? What really worked? Did you pick up the phone? Did you ask to meet them for another coffee or a meal, um, and then going in and internalizing and thinking, is that something that I want to also adopt? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, then let me answer that directly. And Jonathan, I know you had a point. Well, you you say your point first, Jonathan, then I want to respond to that though. I was just reacting to the authenticity because the authenticity is what makes something sustainable. A lot of people say, you know, they, they look at these gurus who pump them up, you know, and how to, you know, how to sell a pen or, you know, whatever it is, like how, how to sell. And, Yes, that that could be impressive. And, you know, you see a presentation and says like, oh, I want to be like that. But it's not sustainable because in order for that to be done, you need to become someone else or someone you're not. And that is always a very tough scenario to sustain over any length of time. And we also don't know how us being us is going to to be very authentic. I remember a big pitch I did where there was a group that came out and they just looked super confident and, and sharp. And when I went in, for whatever reason, I got nervous about the moment. And at the end, we won. And it was because they saw my nervousness as respect. They, I didn't seem cocky. I didn't seem, I seemed, I seemed authentic. And I would have said that was my worst pitch, you know, and we were up against people I thought, you know, looked like they pitched amazing. So we don't know, but I could tell you, if you're always just showing up present, that you could always do. That's easy to do. And you, you can't judge if it's success or failure. But if you're trying to show up as somebody else or something else, that is very hard to do over time. Thank you yeah. so much for that. Thank you. Yeah. And also, and then just to answer your, your direct question about, I understand the want to like what's other people's best practices so you can adopt to yourself or you can adapt to yourself. So I'll tell you a little bit about mine that I think will be relevant to you as sort of a, you know, selling consulting services on a solo basis. I think the biggest thing for me is the best practice about what materials should you have. You should always have a portfolio that I think is client confidential and highlights the work you're most proud of and something that you don't need to edit for Mm -hmm. each presentation. For me, best practice comes about replicability 
and reducing your cost of process. So that means you don't want to be expecting to do a bespoke proposal for every client. And you only want to be putting yourself there if you really need to. So I have several things that I would want to have in my tool set. You want to have your best practice portfolio, but small, just highlighting some of your best work that you could say, here's some of the example of what it will look like working with me in like a generic basis. You'll want to have like a basic presentation about what your service is. But again, thinking about like a 90% standard core that is you centric. That's talking about you and what you are as a person and like why they would want to speak to you. Because if you're talking about why they should buy in this particular instance, or they ask you a ton of questions up front about like, what are you going to do for me? What is this? What is that? And they're not even willing to talk to you. I find as a best practice in, in, in my experience as a consultant, that those are leads that are not worth their, the ROI of converting them is usually not worth it. And even if you can, it's going to be a rough ride. So really everything you build should be supplemental to you being able to get on the phone with them. And a lot of times that means pitches are really just as much as here's who I am. Here's what establishes credibility. So like, look at those as two pillars, the who you are piece. So you really can talk about who you are and why should you listen to me? Like what is some establishment of credibility that could either be past clients, like I said, work portfolio, whatever it is that you're not just coming off the street. And then the third thing is anything communication wise or presentation wise, that's going to encourage them to talk to you and have an open conversation. So you don't want to have ever like, what are my best practice materials? It's the ones that I've found over the years. that are going to help me get somebody on the phone with me as fast as possible with as little bit of as investment as possible. But once you get to that, to the, to the pitch, I would suggest that yes, the standard materials, it could be you know, like what you are about and what you could do that's standard, but the pitch is about them in my, for, for me. So I'm always looking at what do they need and how will they experience this and what it's going to do for them. So I, I'm very, very cautious to use the word I, you know, I'm very cognizant of how many times I use the word I during a pitch. So totally agreed. So pitch would be the call, the first call or after. <laughs> so I totally agree. It's all about you because that's more sustainable. And then as soon as they're like, we like you, let's talk. Then it's all about them just to put that together, if that, if that that, helps. That is very clear. So how are you you feeling? I know I feel I'm I'm reading your face, Ellen. It seems like there's a lot going on. Did we answer? I know there was a lot of questions. Are we getting close to answering uh, the good majority of them? You feeling better? Oh, I, I feel complete. Definitely. I think that I had a lot of questions answered and I'm glad that we were able to get into that detailed, um, actionable approach that not only I can use, but also your audience and your listeners. And for me, I'm a detail person. I mean, I'm in process. So helping to understand the actual details of pitch proposal, um, what you make about you and what you make about your client and how to handle some of the processes. I love having that standard to just understand and then to go in and understand, okay, what's going to work for me. So I think that this has been extremely helpful. Well, good. Like I said, sometimes we want to make sure we're meeting you at the detail level you want to be met because we're here to help you. So glad you're, you're feeling better. Jonathan, do you have any last minute comments then before we let Ellen go for today? No, I, I, th- I think we could do another, you know, several episodes, seven, seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks Ellen for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. Thanks for bringing on such an expansive topic and being open to talk to us about some of the live stuff going on with you. Um, we were really glad to, to connect. 
So as always, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you have anything you want to bring to business therapy, don't be shy to comment or reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Other than that, have a great week and we'll talk next week.